This is the Everything EV Podcast by EV Powered. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything EV Podcast, the podcast dedicated to everything electric. I'm your host, Charlie Atkinson, and in these episodes, we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel. So whether it be cars, bikes, boats, or even planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage, and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to receive every single episode as soon as it's released. And please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. In this episode, I'll be joined by Chris Shelley, the CEO of sustainable energy firm Solar Botanic. Solar Botanic recently announced the launch of its Solar Tree, a sustainable energy solution that uses solar power for rapid electric vehicle charging and much more. Chris is here to talk about the journey of the company, the role of solar in the UK's transition to electric vehicles and the long-term vision of Solar Botanic. So Chris, welcome to the podcast firstly. Now, I've got to be honest, I only discovered Solar Botanic at the start of this week when I was sent a press release about the company. So before we get into everything else, could you just start by giving us a bit of an overview of the company and what the whole idea behind Solar Botanic is? Sure. Um, so the company um, started basically as an idea by a, a gentleman called Harry Corrigan. Harry created Solar Botanic originally in 2009 um, and after a career in industry decided he wanted to spend his last sort of part of his career really focusing on doing something for the planet and he's quite sort of quite altruistic in that sense. Um, and quite quite a strong vision for what he's trying to do. And he's been looking at a number of technologies, ranging from vertical axis wind turbines, solar trees was an idea he had, um, re- regenerative hydrogen. And over the last uh, 10 years, but particularly the last five or six, he sponsored a number of PhD students and MA students to investigate the technology and opportunities to bring a product like that to market and how it would happen. So it's been a sort of quite a while in gestation. Um, I got involved last December when I met him by chance. And frankly speaking, I'm not dissimilar in the sense that I spent a large part of my career working in rather dirty industries. Like they, I worked at uh, Drax Power Station, my first job during the miners' strike back in the 80s, uh, burning lots of sulfurous coal. And then I worked in the cement industry, chucking out lots of bad emissions through uh, horrible chimney stacks. So I thought this was actually a really good opportunity to perhaps slightly redress uh, the sins of the past. Um, and, and so Harry and I have been working together on this, along with a couple of other guys, uh, including in particular Gerard Hansen, who is a uh, who is one of the PhDs who developed the technology behind this over the last few years. And now it's really a case of saying, "All right, come on, Harry, let's get let's get this let's get this commercialized, let's get it to market." And uh, it's it's great concept, great vision, but let's let's actually do something about it. Yeah, you touched on your background there and how you've worked in some dirty industries before. So, have you had a bit of an EV epiphany recently? Then are you now a, a fully fledged EV driver and living ultra sustainably? Uh, I can't say there was sustainable as I would like. Um, you know, I'm very much working on the insulation side, not least because of the fuel bills. Um, but in terms of cars, now I'm I'm between cars at the moment. I just scrapped my uh, three litre diesel last Friday, so um, so I'm going in the right direction. But I haven't decided what I'm going to replace it with yet. Um, as you know, availability and costs are quite high on a lot of cars at the moment, so I'm sort of hanging in there. I live in the city, so I don't need to drive too much. Um, 
but yeah no it's it's not something that i would say i came to recently but it's been nagging at me for some time and frankly my kids have been nagging me for some time to do something a bit more environmentally uh, oriented and, and, and sustainable so i've decided to dedicate the balance of my career to this sector now yeah so when you talk about the journey that the company has been on so far where where are we now what's the sort of state of play at the moment for solar botanic okay so essentially what we had was a lot of um ip and background ip that have been tested at the lab level so particularly around the photovoltaic technology and and which gives us the best performance and potentially could be used in a leaf type format which is not a trivial task because it's a 3d um uh, uh, dome that we want to fit these panels to and so they there's no really off-the-shelf technology that we could use so we're having to work with suppliers to develop that all of that has been ongoing for some some years actually but it, it all kind of ground to a halt with covid um, can't travel, can't visit suppliers, etc. But so now it's back up and running. We've now uh, we've been working with the um, Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre at Sheffield University, uh, Brunel University Research Department, and the Manufacturing Technology Centre uh, in Coventry. Um, and we are basically now taking this from the drawing board into prototype phase. That will happen over the next six months, and that is primarily to validate all of the modeling and lab level work that we have underdone to take our product from basically what is a TRL3, TRL4, technology readiness level three or four, through to TRL9 over the next six to nine months. And we will then be in parallel with that designing the commercial version, which will read across some of the, the material and technology choices that we have to finalize over the coming six months so that the commercial version in a year's time will have all the latest uh, technology and manufacturing methods and materials applied to it so that we can go into mass production half two of next year. I probably should have touched on this earlier on in the conversation because this is purely an audio podcast and we don't record the video. So for anyone that can't quite picture the solar trees and how this whole idea works, how do you describe that to someone and, and how will it look in the in the real world? Okay, so in, so as in the real world, the first generation of this product effectively has a dome-shaped um, uh, uh, structure, which essentially sits on a, on a tree trunk, which is obviously manufactured from uh, the materials that we're going to select, be they composite or metal. And the, and the solar panels are embedded in five or six, we haven't decided whether it's five or six yet, uh, large leaf-like structures, which will, be, which will form the dome. Um, and that's where all the development work is left to be done in the field at commercial scale. It's the first generation. We then have uh, subsequent generations which will evolve to include embedded uh, power management and, power and battery and energy storage systems within the trunk of the tree um, and energy, uh, sorry, and EV charging points fitted to uh, one or more of the trees, particularly when we're selling microgrid versions. As a standalone product, uh, for residential use, that's probably not the focus right now. The focus is more microgrid, so we'll be, we might have 10 trees and three charging points or four batteries, and, and they would be networked so we can maximise the storage and the, and, the, and the ability to charge cars. Um, that will evolve from, from that version into version three, which will be hopefully a much more um, tree-like or leaf-like um, structure where we will have literally hundreds, if not thousands of leaves which will be photovoltaic and we'll have some other energy generating technology, which we will talk about in due course 
um, that will harness some of the potentially harness some of the energy from the movement of the leaves as well as the sun um, obviously you know project uh, the solar power that we would collect by the leaves and that's sort of that second that third generation is probably a 26 27 launch I just wanted to go back to slightly earlier on in the conversation when you mentioned residential use cases and commercial use cases so what does the roadmap for the next 12 months or all that sort of short-term future look like for the company? Is this going to be primarily residential and then moving into that commercial space? How is that balance going to work? Uh, it's much going to be much more the other way around, I think. Um, although I'm getting lots of emails from people asking me if they can buy a tree. Um, that's not where we're at right now. Um, where we're at is we are working with um, some of the energy companies and some fairly well-known names. Um, with a view to making this part of their overall renewable offering to their clients. So their clients are people who would be um, uh, anything ranging, well, basically it's commercial car parks. So it would be you know, hotels, potentially hospitals, um, exhibition centers, airports, where there's fairly large um, uh, car parks where we would take over a section of the more possibly in, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, a large section of those car parks, uh, premium business parks, head offices, and we are talking to some quite well-known um, brands uh, about putting these in their uh, corporate head, head office car parks. That's where we see the focus, but our channel to market is going to be through you know, classic EPCs, engineering uh, procurement contractors, um, and other uh, people who actually put the infrastructure in. Um, and we, you know, we are partnering with a number of partners on how we will actually, um, in terms of, you know, manufacturing, supplying, installation, and supporting those in the field. That is all part of the development program that we're in the middle of right now. Okay, perfect. And now to circle back to the start of the podcast when we spoke about the journey of the company, and now you're at a stage where you'll be going to the market with this product in the very near future. What have been some of the biggest challenges that the company has faced in its time so far? Um, I mean, I can't speak for all of the challenges because obviously I've only been involved for the last six or nine months. But um, I think the challenge has been, um, to some extent, investment sentiment. Um, and I think that a lot of the, um, you, you know, a lot of the small startups sort of come and go. And it's quite a crowded marketplace at the startup end of the market, particularly around things like EV charging um, and some of the battery storage and uh, other related technologies, you know, battery management systems, etc. There seems to be a lot going on there. There's a lot going on around, um, uh, you know, putting solar panels. Uh, that's that's driving a lot of demand for solar uh, PV photo uh, photovoltaics, which creates a little bit of a challenge getting some of our potential suppliers engaged um, on what what they what is for them a relatively niche low volume product. Uh, we're not looking to sell you know, gigawatts of power here. We're looking to do, you know, uh, you know, kilowatts and megawatts. You know, we're not looking to do gigawatts. So it, it's getting the attention of certain parts of the supply chain, I think, has been a challenge. And, and let's, not, uh, let's not be honest about it. You know, the, the whole COVID thing uh, for a startup was a bit of a hand grenade. So I think it's been, it's been probably two and a half, three years where everything's felt a little bit spinning the wheels. Um, but certainly... Um, with the issue of, you know, the, there's multiple issues which we all know about now. There's obviously the green agenda and the need to, 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 to clean up our power generation base, but that's been, you know, greatly um, enhanced by the energy security challenge we now have with all that's going on in, in, in Ukraine and so on. So that, 
you know, there's, there's a, there's a that, that has increased significantly the focus around, uh, you know, solar, wind and other technologies, but storage, distribution and, and, the, and the infrastructure. So I think it's, it's a very hot sector right now. Um, so, you know, it is, it is the, 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 in a sense, the perfect time, although not necessarily for the right reasons, because of what's, you know, some pretty nasty stuff going on out there at the moment. Just off the back of that, in your opinion, how important is the role of solar power and renewable energy in not only the UK's net zero ambitions, but also in that overall transition to electric vehicles? Well, I think, I mean, I think, you know, there's, 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 I mean, people have different opinions on this and I tend to sort of, I tend to be realistic about this. It takes a long time to get technologies matured, adopted, um, and have to have the confidence of the investment community and governments to put it in on large scale. Um, when I was head of strategy for the ABB group in the early 90s, when I was living in Switzerland, and that was a multi-billion, the world's largest power generation company, we looked at solar, we looked at um, wind, and at the time we felt that it was just uh, too immature as a technology for a company like ABB to go after. So we focused on combined cycles and, and other cleaner versions of basically hydrocarbon technology, but certainly nothing that was going to solve the CO2 problem. Um, so, so the carbon problem. So basically, um, you know, that, that was 30 years ago I did that job. <laughs> so, um, so I think it's taken a long time to get to the point where those technologies matured. I think it's about having a balanced energy mix. So, you know, there, there is, there is, it's what we need to make sure is we don't get over dependent on any one sector that we make sure that we have the ability to, to, to change and, and, and vary our mix over time, to have a degree of resilience about it. So that means wind, solar, it means fusion. It probably means fission nuclear as well for the, for the interim. Um, and, you know, we're gonna have to mix that in with some ongoing, you know, frankly, coal and, and gas while we make that transition, otherwise the lights are gonna go out. So uh, I think if, for me, it's, this is a still, for me going forward, a 20 to 30 year journey before we really get something that's true net zero, but we can make some big steps over, uh, you know, as we go, and we've got to recognize this is gonna evolve. On the mobility side, I think batteries and, and hybrids, they have a huge role to play. Um, on the static power side, I think hydrogen is going to become a major part of that play. Um, so, but there's still some technology evolution and maturing to be done there as well. So. It's all part of a, of, a, of a mix of technologies and it's a journey. Do you think the UK has missed a bit of a trick with the use of solar and renewable energies? Because still, even in this day and age where everyone is greener and more sustainably minded, even when I drive past a, a house that has solar panels on the roof, it, it still sticks out to me and I still notice it. And like you said, when you were working in that job 30 years ago and it was still quite an immature technology, but... It still doesn't feel as commonplace as it probably should be. Would you Would you agree with that? Well, the the thing that, that really annoys me, frankly, because you know I I I have businesses, we have factories, um, and, and other things that I've done, is the lack of solar power I see being put on the roofs of factories and and industrial spaces. You know, we're, we're happy to fill fields with them because farmers have got an incentive to do that, but we're actually compromising our food chain by doing that, which seems a bit counterintuitive. And yet we've got all these massive roofs on factories that could become, you know, big, big sources of power and they're not being done. And the reason for that, I think, is a mixture of government policy not pushing it. And frankly, landlords don't want to put any more infrastructure onto their leased factories that requires maintenance and replacement over time than they need to. So there's actually resistance amongst 
you know, property owners, commercial property owners and landowners uh, to it, as well as there being a lack of incentive and, and drive from government policy. So I think both those two together, I think, can make a difference. And I think that, you know, a lot of, I don't know whether it's true in the, the residential market, but it seems to me that there is a reluctance amongst some banks and mortgages to, 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 to free up the capital to allow people to invest in it. So I think there's, there's some sort of, sort of more subtle reasons rather than just a, a lack of desire to do it. I just wonder as well, I mean, I was having this conversation with someone else the other day. I wonder how much of an impact the cost of living crisis is going to have on sustainable and renewable energy. Obviously, we have bills going up and I'm hearing more and more people considering solar EV chargers and solar panels on their roofs and all things like that. So I wonder that although in the short term, it's going to have a massive impact on people in their day to day lives. I mean, could it potentially have a sort of longer term benefit in that drive towards more sustainable and renewable energies? I, I, I think that the, the big picture is definitely positive. You know, the macro picture means we have no choice but to do this. The issue is making sure we remove the barriers to it happening um, and the roadblocks to it. And right now, you're absolutely right. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's, a, you know, there's going to be a squeeze on uh, people lending money. Interest rates are going up. So it's going to be more expensive to borrow the money to put the infrastructure in. Those are going to be challenges to it. But I think that, uh, you know, the... And so it will tend to start at the, the wealthier end of the market. Let's be blunt about it. You know, I mean, you know, electric cars and solar panels, you know, they are, these are not trivial investments for most people. So, so therefore, it's going to tend to be more in the sort of the, the middle income and the higher income uh, residential and, and to some extent commercial environments where it will, will get adopted. But I think it will over time become adopted and accepted. And then the banks will start to see this as, actually as a good investment and they will see that it's actually helping their customers. Um, and all that sort of stuff will, over time, I think, ultimately mean that this, this will get traction. But I think we've got a bumpy 12 to 24 months ahead of us while uh, all, the imp all the implications of, of, of the massive energy, the impact of the massive inflation and energy crisis, uh, you know, feeds through. Yeah. Now, I am aware we've gone off on a bit of a solar tangent there. So just to come back to Solar Botanic. I always like to end these podcasts by getting people to sort of get their crystal balls out, if you like, and look a bit into the future. So considering the stage Solar Botanic is at right now, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what the long term goal and the long term vision is for the company. So I think for me, the, 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 the way this is, this is, as I said, going back to the beginning, this is this is one of a number of power generation options and we're targeting it at more aesthetically challenging locations, you know, car parks and, and places where you wouldn't necessarily want to put, you know, solar panels per se. Um, you know, developers and, and operators, you know, like the idea of having these in, 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 in those locations. I think there will, there should be a lot of traction in the demand for the trees. The other part that's going to go along with this is going to be very much the development of all of the, the understanding of how to configure microgrids the mix of power, the connectivity to the main grids, the storage capabilities, the ratio of solar panel square meters to numbers of charge points, which is a demand and a supply issue. There's going to be other ways of storing energy than just batteries. We're looking at you know, hydrogen um, fuel cells and things like that. And so I think that over time, what you're gonna see is an increasing the sophisticated use of our technology within the microgrid market. And, as, and I think that is where the big trend is, you know, we're, we're all looking to kind of, you know, go off grid, if, as it were, 
um, or, or reduce the dependency on the grid and the, the primary suppliers. So microgrids, I think, and all of the, the AI machine learning that will help us really optimize the way those work, I think that's really going to be the next big thing. It's already starting, but I think that you know we want to be part of that. So we want to move beyond just making trees. We want to go on to making sort of you know complete systems and microgrids. Um, we're not going to go into the energy trading market, but we are certainly going to look to provide complete solutions to corporate clients or you know or operators. So I think that's our vision. But we're starting with trees, and then with batteries, and then with charging points, and then you know, doing complete microgrids. So we've got to build our capability and our partnership, partnering strategy to deliver that vision at the end of the day. That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening. And if you liked it, then please do check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you get every single episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Everything EV podcast.